Peter Kessler, and you're listening to Reading the Break. I played quite a bit of golf with World Golf Hall of Famer and 1958 U.S. Open champ Tommy Bolt, most of it when Tommy was in his 90s. Tommy was born in Oklahoma and was raised in Texas after his father moved the family there by covered wagon during the Depression. He remembered very well when Babe Ruth hit his record 60th home run in 1927 when Tommy was 11. He liked the Yankees and Ruth and Lou Gehrig, and his brother liked the A's and Jimmy Fox, the great home run hitter. He remembered Al Capone going to jail, and the FBI shooting gangster John Dillinger as he left a movie theater with his girlfriend. Twelve-year-old Tommy Bolt caddied some for Al Espinoza, who lost to Bobby Jones in the 36-hole U.S. Open playoff at Wingfoot in 1929 by 23 shots, and he liked the clothes and the clubs and the prestige, and he knew that's what he wanted to be. He learned to break Coca-Cola bottles and use a jagged edge to scrape wood from the shaft of his clubs until they had a little kick in them. Hitting shots came easily to him. So did scoring. While serving in World War II, it was his idea to be the military golf instructor of the Army Special Services Division in Rome after three years of Army carpentry work. Fellow Texan General Brown bought into it. He won so much money he had to buy a trunk to take it on the boat home with him after his tour of duty was up. He lost so much money on the boat going back home to a group of U.S. soldiers who had been imprisoned by the U.S. Army in England for going absent without leave in the face of enemy fire that he sold the trunk. He always told me that he rarely threw a club in his prime when he won 15 times on tour, although I knew about rounds when he finished with six or eight clubs fewer than he started with. I asked him about the famous 1960 picture of him throwing his driver into the lake in front of the 18th tee at Cherry Hills in the U.S. Open, won by Arnold Palmer. That was different, Peter, said Bolt. There was a white carp, and he was trying to mess with my game. I'd draw the club back, he'd jump out of the water. He jumped up on purpose at the top of my swing. So you see, that one doesn't count. That was a white carp deliberately messing with old Tom. I was provoked, son. So I gave that driver a nice little toss, just to drench it, tried to spare the fish. When told to play away on the first tee of the final round of the 1958 U.S. Open that he won, he turned to the official and said, Don't you tell me when to play. I'll hit when I'm ready to hit. I don't need you rushing me. Then the fans would get all fired up, Peter, and I would get all fired up, and that's what old Tom needed to get his pilot light lit. Then, of course, I could play to the gallery, which was my job, being an entertainer. I never tried to forget that. Man, after I birdied the first hole on the first day and asked who was going to finish the son-of-a-bitch second, I knew I would win. Perfect weather for me, very hot and humid. Those other dudes were Wilton, boy. During that open, he was 42, but pretended to be 39. So when a local paper said he was 49, he was furious at what they called a typographical error. Typographical error, my ass. That was a perfect four and a perfect nine, said Mr. Bolt. At the Virginia Beach Open one year, Tommy had a one-shot lead with one to play. He made a double bogey to lose by one. They wanted to know if he would stay for the presentation. Presentation? If they promised to present me with a punch in the mouth, I'll stay. I was 15 miles down the road before I changed my shoes. 
Tommy was part of the foursome in the 1979 televised Legends of Golf match that effectively started the senior tour, featuring a six-hole playoff that Roberto DiVincenzo and Julius Burroughs won with six straight birdies over Bolt and Art Wall, who made five. There were no other major sporting events competing with the telecast that weekend, which helped to attract new viewers and potential sponsors to televised golf. We used to hold surprise birthday parties for Tommy at Black Diamond Ranch in Lecanto, Florida, where he was surely the mayor and where he lived. We must have held his 80th birthday party about five times, and each year there was a new gift wishing him a happy 80th, which he accepted with a straight face. He knew we were going to hold the parties, and we knew he would half pretend that they were a surprise. Man, was he a thing of beauty when he walked in right on time in purple and white, and straight through the parted crowd to the makeshift stage we had set up for me to interview Tommy in front of all of his friends and neighbors, smiling and handsome, and not pretending for a moment that the party was a surprise, he gave them exactly what they wanted. I think half of his stories were complete nonsense, like the one about Ben Hogan hiding behind trees to look at Tommy's grip in 1955, after Hogan moved Tommy's hands a little to the left into a more neutral position. How could you see from the trees, and Hogan hiding behind them? But that didn't stop Tommy or old dad from telling us about it. He told the audience about Ivan the Terrible Gantz, who he said was so crazy he threw clubs on the range after a round and would put his right hand into a thorny honeysuckle bush till it turned bloody. Then he'd pull it out and say, that will teach you to get involved in the shot too early. He told me that Sam Sneed came over the top of it and still hooked it and therefore it wasn't a great swing, son, but that Sneed was a great lag putter, a beautiful sand player, and really good with his pitching wedge from almost everywhere unless he absolutely had to use a sand iron. Tommy called Sam Old Nudie because there was nothing under the hat. Tommy swore that Sam demanded of all the tournament sponsors that they had a woman waiting for him at each tournament stop in his room so he could be serviced right away. Tommy said to me, I never did thank him for playing those practice rounds with me every day when I won the Open, bless his heart. I absorbed that rhythm, man. I played a lot of golf with Tommy when he was between 87 and 90 years old, and still at that time he could still break 70 from the members' tees at Black Diamond. I don't think in maybe 50 rounds of golf I ever saw him miss a fairway. I don't think I ever saw him hit a bunker shot when we played a round of golf. But afterwards, he would take me over to the practice bunker, and he would show me an assortment of bunker shots. He could even take the ball absolutely cleanly out of a greenside bunker with a sand wedge or even an eight iron and not take a speck of sand and spin the ball when it landed on the green. With a five wood, he was unbelievable. Now, this is at the age of 90. From about 170 to 210, he could hit any shot that you could ask him to hit. If the pin was back right on a big green with lots of undulations, he would hit a low cut that would hit the front of the green and roll and run and cut to the right and end up near the pin. If the pin was back left and it was a flat green, he'd hit a big high draw that would stop right next to the hole. If the pin was right in the front, he would hit it straight up in the air and it would come straight down. 
He used to pretend that every shot around the green was difficult, but I never saw him really miss many greens. I remember one round where he was just in front of the green in two, maybe a couple of feet off of the surface, with a good lie, flat green, 25-foot chip, and he'd look at it, and he'd pick a club, and then he'd put it back, and then he would pick another club, and he would look at me and say, boy, I don't think I've ever had a shot like this. And then, of course, he would hold it, and he would laugh and just say to you, glad you could see that one, boy. The last time I played golf with Tommy was the last time he played golf. We played at the Highlands course when he was in his early 90s, which was a nine-hole course out at Black Diamond. And we got to the ninth hole, and he hit a five-wood about 20 feet right of the hole, and he made the putt for two, and he walked over to me and he said, That's it for old Dad. I just hit my last golf shot. Glad you could see it, boy. And I started to cry because I knew his family was taking him away to Arkansas where he would spend his final days, and I would never get to see him again. And I kissed him on the cheek, and I said, I love you, Tom. And he said, I love you, boy. And he said, don't cry. We'll be together again. And, of course, I knew I never would see him again, nor did I. I spoke to him once on the phone, and he was pretty frail. And not too long after that, at the age of 94, he passed away. He was one of golf's truly great men. For Reading the Break, I'm Peter Kessler.